Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. Thank you. Thank you, worship team. And, uh, and Doug, we, we, we will pray that God will just heal your voice this week, but um, we're excited that we have backup in those unexpected moments, right? So, um, you know, I'm, I may have to fake, <coughs> may need to fake one day a, a, a sore throat and have someone come and preach for me. So they may do a better job. But uh, appreciate uh, appreciate Melissa and her willingness to stand in there and lead well. Um, you guys just really responded well this morning in worship, and so it was a really neat neat thing. If you're new here, I just want to welcome you to Northbridge, and we had a great. Uh, crowd in the first service and online. And uh, if you're new to us, my name is David. I serve as one of the one of the pastors here this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to turn there to Daniel. That's where we're going to be at this morning. And we're going to be in Daniel chapter one. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, Daniel's kind of in the in the towards the end of the Old Testament. So if you just open your Bible halfway, um, you'll find it somewhere. And obviously most of you probably have electronic copies. You can just Look for Daniel, and you'll find it right there, right? So two weeks ago, um, Pastor Tony and I and, and John uh, were on stage, and we were just sharing our hearts regarding um, the, the 10-year vision that we have been processing and believe that, that God is leading us as a church family to uh, take on and to live out. And, and obviously, because of, of, of the condensed time, we weren't able to share everything on our heart regarding this vision. But I'm going to encourage you, if you have yet to do so, to go to uh, Northbridge's website, mynorthbridge.org, mynorthbridge.org. And there's a tab there called Vision. If you just click on that tab, it'll just download all the vision that we are casting for the next 10 years. And, and honestly, at the core of, of this vision of ours is that we, as a church family, we're being called as a church family to stand in the gap. Um, for our families, for our friends, and for our community. And, and it's an audacious goal in many, many ways. I think at the very end, um, we, are, we, are, we are asking God that we can be a part of seeing thousands of people come to faith in Jesus Christ over the next decade. And, and from when I look at that, and, and I, my response to that is that that is a massive goal for us. But it's not audacious for our God, for any, any church, any people, um, any individual that places his or her trust in him and say, God, um, we believe that you can do extraordinary things through us. God is going to do extraordinary things through you. And I believe that we are going to see God do some extraordinary things. And we want you to be a part of that. We want you to, we want you to be a, a man and a woman who thrives wherever God places you in life. That wherever God has you in life, that you will uh, take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you. That you be willing to make disciples of Jesus wherever you, wherever you live, wherever you do life, and with whomever you do life with. And for us to be willing to stand in the gap for the sake of the gospel of Jesus we not only need to be courageous in our witness, but we also need to know how we're going to thrive in our faith in a culture that increasingly is becoming very um, anti-biblical. 
and very anti-Christian regarding um, our standards that we practice as people of, of faith. And so in a culture that's becoming more hostile um, to the Christian faith, we need to be encouraged that, that we are not to shrink back from society. We're not to be antagonistic to society, but we are to live in the midst of unbelief. And while we do so, that we will thrive in our faith and we will present the gospel of Jesus Christ in such a way that people will, will want to respond to the invitation to also become followers of Jesus. And so this is where we're heading in the next 10 years. And, and, and these, these, these series that we're going to be teaching and studying over in the next year are going to be purposeful and, and pointing us back to this core vision of ours, to being able to be men and women willing, able, ready, um, to stand in the gap for those that are around us. And, and this is why the message of, of Daniel is so important to us. Because Daniel, though he lived 26 centuries ago, um, what he did and who he was and what he experienced and how he navigated um, his culture is so relevant for us today. For, for Daniel was taken from a culture of absolute... Um, well, absolute, more absolutes, to serving one and worshiping one God. And he was transplanted into a culture um, of relativism and that served over 1,700 gods. And so we live in the same kind of culture. We live in a very secular culture. Daniel, while he was living in Babylon and serving in Babylon, he lived in a, and operated in a very secular world. One of the most advanced societies of his day was Babylon. And we also live in one of the most advanced societies of all time. And though we, we have more knowledge and though we have more um, wonderful ways of living our life and, and most of those things bring us a lot of um, freedom, we also are becoming a culture that is, is slowly, but maybe sometimes very rapidly in some other, other places, growing increasingly hostile um, to Christianity. And so there's a lot for us to learn. And not only for us to thrive as we go through Babylon, but we also have to be prepared to thrive in Babylon. And Daniel points us out now. Pastor John did a, a great job last week in Daniel chapter 1. In fact, afterwards, uh, I was telling him that he, he kind of stole my thunder for the message for this morning. And I was back there going, no, no, abort, abort. And so he, he, didn't, he didn't abort uh, what he was going to preach on. But I felt that the Lord was just calling me back to revisit what John already laid out in a, in a gold mine. He found a gold mine regarding faith. And I just kind of want to kind of want to continue in that same vein this morning in regards to how do we thrive in a culture that is so antagonistic to us. And the only way that we can thrive is by preparing our hearts to be men and women who have an unbelievable, unshakable, and determined belief in our God. Now, in Daniel chapter 1, 1 through 4, this is how we encounter Daniel. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasure of his God. This is very important, and we're going to come to this at the very end, probably, of my message. 
But this is important. What did Nebuchadnezzar do with the things of God? Verse 3, then the king commanded um, Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youth without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of, of the Chaldeans. Now, we oftentimes look at scripture through rose-colored glasses. And we don't understand the, the true depths of human suffering that takes place in Scripture. When we just read those first few verses of, of Daniel 1, we just kind of get in our mind, okay, um, Nebuchadnezzar laid siege and brought these guys over to uh, um, his, his culture. There was a lot more to it. If you go back to the book of Lamentations, which was written by the prophet Jeremiah, who lived through this uh, siege by the Babylonians and the destruction that was leveled against uh, Jerusalem, you will see in the book of Lamentations there was utter devastation. And there was death all around. And the things that the, that the people of God in that city had to endure during the siege and then after they were overrun by the Babylonian army is, is appalling. It's appalling in it and the, and the ruthlessness that the Babylonians took out um, towards the people of God. And so when you look at this, there was... Um, there was Daniel, right? And Daniel was 15 years old and when, he, when we see him first appear in chapter 1. And at the, at the age of 15, he saw a lot of things that a lot of 15-year-olds should never encounter in their life. He was traumatized. He had to be traumatized by what he saw. We have no idea what happened to his family. We don't know, we don't know if he had, had siblings and if he had siblings... What happened to them? All we know is this, is that at a young age, at the age of 15, he, against his own will, was, was, was dragged off into slavery. He, wa- he walked, at, for 14 and a half years of his life, 15 years of his life, he walked in relative freedom. He was, he was of the noble court. He had life, you know, laid at his feet. Anything that he wanted to do, he could do. But at the age of 15, that was all taken away from him. His freedom, gone. Any aspect of, of living a, a, a great life in the upper echelons of, of the Jewish uh, people, gone. Any, any period she had as, as, a, as a man of, the, of nobility meant nothing for the rest of his life. In fact, when he left Jerusalem, he left Jerusalem not as a free man, but as a young man in chains. And any dream, any, any, any possible dream that he had for his life, that he, any dream that he had for his future was never to be fulfilled because for the rest of his life, he would be answering to other people's demands. Whatever, whatever people wanted from him, he had to fulfill as a slave. And so whether his parents were alive or not in that moment, whether they survived the, um, the, the, the onslaught of Jerusalem um, all we know is that from that moment on, Daniel was on his own. In fact, there is no indication in all of the book of Daniel that he ever got back to visit his homeland. We have no, so from that moment on, more than likely, he had to live and operate as if he was an orphan. Again, 15 years of age. And so it's my, it's my belief, and this is, this is my belief, when I look at Daniel's life, and we see Daniel from the age of 15 
and through the age of 85 or 90. In the 12 chapters of Daniel, there is an incredible lifespan with Daniel. And all that I see in this lifespan is this unshakable belief and trust in God. And I have to ask the question, where did he get it as a 15-year-old boy? It wasn't this unshakable trust in God wasn't developed when he was 25 or 35 or 55 or 85. It was it was there when he was 15 years old. Where did he get it from? And so I believe I believe that the unsung heroes of the of the book of Daniel was Daniel's parents. In fact, we can even throw in Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego's parents as well. That they're the unsung heroes because Daniel and these three friends of his had to know something about this God as their life was turned upside down, as they faced tremendous trauma, tremendous tragedy. They had to reconcile in their heart in some, in some degree that God was still with them and that God could still be trusted, that God could still be believed in. And so where do they get this? Well, we, we know from the text that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were men that were, were a cut above the rest, right? Um, we know that they were well-educated. They, they had all this wisdom, skilled in wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, and learning, and they were competent, right? We get all that. But that doesn't translate to unshakable faith and belief in God. It just shows us that these men were in, incredible young men, incredible teenagers. There had to be something else behind the scene that developed them in their faith. Now, for Daniel, he probably received a, a very um, uh, edu- a great education centered on, on, the, on the Torah, centered on um, um, the Old Testament saints, centered on the Psalms, and more than likely he had at his disposal um, the book of Job where he saw Job's life, you know, this great man of faith, you know, just being inundated with bad things. And so he had all that knowledge to him, right? And more than likely, every once in a while, he would go to temple with his father and and, and worship God um, through the sacrifices. And that was in place. But there also had to be something else that went on to cultivate this deep trust. And the only thing I can put my finger on is this. There had to be a deep faith and awe of God developed and modeled in their homes. You see, it's one thing to learn something, to learn about God theoretically, and there's another thing to be, to have it personally modeled before you. To watch people walk in faith, to watch people respond to God when things don't go right for them. To worship God no matter what, to put God first in their life no matter what, that had to be learned somewhere. And I believe for Daniel and for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it was, it was through their parenting, it was in their home that they were shaped and at such a young age to trust and have such a great understanding of who God is. And I think that this is very important for us in, in today's world. Now, let me just say this from the outset. I'm a single man. If you don't know me, I'm a single man. I've never been married, and I don't have any kids. And believe it or not, though, I do love children. I, 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 I love the kids that are in this church, um, but they scare me half to death, right? And so I, I don't know what to do with them most of the time. And so if you see me kind of back off, it's not because I don't want to have anything to do with them. I don't know what to do with them, right? So, um, but, uh, but I do love them. 
And, and along with the other pastors of this church, we, we pray for their spiritual health. We pray for their spiritual vitality, right? And so I, I'm coming at this, um, and you have to understand this from my perspective. It's not me, me, me telling you what you ought to do. I'm just encouraging you from God's word what we should do. And so as a follower of Jesus, who happen to also be parents, and can I throw in their grandparents? And maybe if you're like me, if you're, if you're just, if you're single and you don't have any kids, we also have responsibility of cultivating faith in children and, and our teenagers and the next generation um, by being a part of the family of God in this church. But as a follower of Jesus who happen to be parents and parenting, your greatest responsibility is to stand in the gap um, for your children, is to present before them a home life that cultivates not only a fear of God and a trusting of God, but also a reverence for him that is preeminent without any other rival. Um, I know that we have lots of things that take place in our family life, busy schedules all around. There are events to take place and activities to be involved in. Um, there's athletic adventures to, uh, um, to let our kids be a part of. But above all those other things, the most preeminent thing that we should be doing as parents is providing a place where, um, where the worship of God is not just meted out on Sunday morning but it's something that, it, that thrives in your home life every single day. You need to answer the, this question, what am I doing to create an environment in which my children spiritually thrive and to create an environment where they will pursue God once they are on their own? That, that's the question that has to be answered. And, and I even say this for grandparents out there. You know, you still play a, a, model, a vital role in, in the generations um, that are just that are young in your own family line. What are you doing to model that before their children? This I came across this in my study. I came across this Barna study from two, 2019. And what Barna did was they went out and they I think it was uh, uh, several hundred thousand people that they polled from the ages of 18 to 24. This was the age range. And this is what was staggering to me. 64% of those who said that they went to church when they were children and teenagers, when they got on their own, 18 to 24, they no longer attend church, nor, nor do they practice their faith. And to me, that's very chilling, right? Because even though the, 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 the survey didn't really get into why um, 64% of kids uh, no longer um, practice faith on their own, I have to wonder what was the spiritual role um, their parents played in their formation. What was their home life like? Were, did they just were they just coming to church on Sunday and, and maybe Wednesday night if they were a traditional church? I mean, what was going on? Did the did the parents allow the church to kind of raise their kids in, in Christianity and took no part in it? I, we don't know the answer to that, but I have to believe. I have to believe that parents play a huge role in whether or not this number of, of people who walk away from faith in this next generation increases or decreases, I have to believe it comes down to the, the preeminence of God and the home life and what parents are doing about that. Now, Proverbs 22, 6 says this, and I believe God's word. I believe in the instructions of God's word. I believe that he will never lead us astray in what he tells us to do. And Proverbs 22, 6 says this, 
train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. We see this so much in Daniel's life. He never once departed from his trust and belief in God. So where did it come from? It more than likely came that he was trained up as a child in the home to trust in this living God. The children and teenagers of our day face things that you and I didn't face when we were teenagers. Um, the culture is rapidly changing. I was telling John between services that 30 years ago, culture was changing at a pace around every 10 years, culture had changed. In 2007, um, culture began to change every five to seven years. And I've learned recently that now culture, with all this rapid advancement, rapid movement, culture is changing every two to three years. In the midst of all that is, is your children. In the midst of all that is this next generation, teenagers trying to find their way through a world that is increasingly changing, increasingly secular, increasingly anti-God. And, and, and so we want them to thrive in that. We want them to have moral courage to stand up when we're not around for um, for the sake of the gospel. We want them to thrive, right, as they are being uh, uh, annihilated or assaulted um, in, in the classrooms and through education and through the state and everywhere they turn where they're saying that, that God, God is irrelevant in our day. The scriptures, the scriptures are nothing more than a book, right? It's, it's a book, but it has no value. Just like with with what um, Daniel experienced, remember back in, in verse 2 of Daniel 1-2, what, what, what did Nebuchadnezzar do with the things of God? He basically took the things out of the temple and he basically put them in a museum. You see, the things of God had no value to Nebuchadnezzar. The things of God had no value um, to the Babylonians. They were just a museum piece. And churches all over America are becoming museum pieces. Faith is becoming a museum piece. The word of God is becoming a museum piece. And our children are in the midst of all of that. Our teenagers are in the midst of all of that. And how is this next generation going to succeed? They can only succeed if we prepare them well. Now, I, I was raised in a, in a non-Christian home. In fact, my, my home life imploded when I was about 15 years old. And thankfully... Um, God had uh, um, uh, rescued my grandparents and they became Christians um, uh, around that time. And so their influence on me really saved the day, right? My, so my grandparents, my, my parents really didn't want to have anything to do with me. And there's a long story with all that. But my grandparents and their, their newfound love for Jesus, I mean, they made sure that we were very much uh, at church as much as we could be at church. And that was a saving grace for someone like me, Right. That was raised in not, not in a Christian family. And so what God did was he did this amazing thing for me. He gave me Christian friends. And I had an unbelievable group of friends when I, when I was a teenager, going through some very uh, tumultuous times in my own life. And I remember, I remember going to the home. And, and back then, back in the 1980s, we had sleepovers. I don't think we allow that anymore. Do we allow that anymore today? I don't know. I'm not sure about parenting skills anymore. But back then, it was like, hey, yeah, leave the house. Go leave us for a whole weekend. We don't care where, you, where you're going. Just go. And so I'd go to these homes, and I would stay with my, my, my Christian friends for periods of times. And I'd watch. I'd watch how their family life was. And I was just so amazed. And I really, really wanted so deeply what my friends had. I wanted parents that, that loved generously. 
I, I, wanted, I wanted parents that would pray and, 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 and talk about God openly and challenge us. You know, we, I had Christian friends that their parents, they're very much involved in, in the formation of their kids. And, and I was a recipient of that. I, I was just kind of sitting at the table taking in the crumbs, right? And I just, I took it all in and it, all that shaped me. And let me say this, every one of my friends that I, the friend that I had in high school that had godly parents in life, they are still thriving in their faith today. And God has taken them all across the world and they've, they've experienced tremendous things in life, but they have stuck to their faith. And again, I believe it goes back to what was preeminent in their home. Now, I will say this. We all want our children to be successful. We do. We want our, our kids to be the very best at whatever they, they put their hands to. You know, we, we all believe that our, our, our kids may, may, be the, may be the next, you know, uh, Albert Pujols out there, right? We, we, want, we, want our, we want the very best for our kids. But let me say this. Nothing should ever, ever rival um, their knowing and coming to know God. Yes, get them involved in, in, in sports. Yes, get them involved in, in the arts. Yes, get them involved in, in community activism. Whatever you want to do with, with your children, get them involved in life, do so. But at the forefront of it all, it needs to be this unshakable love, unshakable belief in the God that they come to know. And that all starts with, with you and I. Um, the culture around us is not going to get any better. It's going to get worse. And we owe it to our children. We owe it to our children. We owe it to this next generation. To prepare them as best as we can. To fight the fight of faith in a way that is not negative. In a way that's not demeaning in a way that is not hostile to unbelief, but in a way that is engaging, in a way that it's inviting, in a way in which our young people can say, without a doubt, thus saith the Lord, and stake my life on it, no matter what the world around me says. Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8 says this. And if you, before we read this verse together, let me just say, let me encourage you, if you have a child in the home, if you have a grandchild, um, if you know someone, if you're, if you're like me, single, maybe you're just newly married and you don't have any kids yet, there might be someone in this church that you can say, let me just insert this name. I'm an influencer over. Let me just insert this child's name in. Can you insert your child or your children's name in this verse and what it would mean and resonate to you? Listen to this. Blessed is the man or woman who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is is the Lord. For he or she is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when he comes for its leaves remain green and it's not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. That is what we should want for all of our children. That's what we should want for all the kids that are part of of Northbridge Church for this generation yet to come. We want our, our children um, to trust in the Lord, but also trust the Lord. I love that. There's a difference between in and is. There is an unbelievable belief that no matter what, God is on my side. No matter where he takes me out in life, God is with me. No matter if my dreams are shattered, God is right there and I can believe in him. That he has a plan for my life. And that his plan, 
He will succeed. That's what we want for our young people. We want them to be men and women who are happy, who are blessed because they know God. We want men and women of the next generation, right? And we, when you look around this room right now, do every single one of these children in this room, every single teenager, there's a couple in the back, every single one of them, they deserve to know God. They deserve it. But if, you're, but if you are asking the church to raise this generation, we're going to fail. You know why? Because we're only around your children and we're only around this next generation only maybe a few hours a week at best. We have an hour of kids zone and, and those who work with our kids zone are, are incredible people. And, and they love your children and they present the gospel as very best as they can, Right? But they're around you a lot more than they are around our influence. And when they're around us, we have our responsibility to pour into them spiritually. We have a responsibility from this stage to declare the Lord that his word is preeminent over all. And thus saith the Lord. But you also have to back that up in your home and say, thus saith the Lord as well. My pastor said this quote almost 30 years ago and it has stuck with me. I wish I could say it's mine because it's, it's awesome. But it's not. It's, 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 it's Vernon Armitage's. But this is what he said. He says, you cannot expect for the church to resurrect on Sunday morning what you crucify in the home Monday through Saturday. It's impossible. It's impossible. So you have your role in preparing this next generation to thrive in the midst of a very antagonistic gospel. Now you might say, you might say David, I'm already past those years, my kids have, have grown and they're on their own now. And okay, wonderful. But if God brings into your life, whether through the church connections here or whether in life as a whole through your family, you need to be standing in the gap, praying for them, modeling what it means um, to live in and by faith. I have one more verse I want to share with you, and that's out of First uh, John chapter 5. And um, I, think that, I think that one thing that we need to do, model before our kids, is that, is that we cannot model before them um, angry um, Christianity. And we can't model for them fearful uh, Christianity. We need to model before them that there is a great delight in knowing Jesus and following his commands, right? This is what First John 5, and First John 5, when he was writing this letter, Again, he was writing this letter in the midst of great hostility. It's pretty much the same hostility that Daniel's, Daniel faced in his life and that we face today um, all these centuries later. For this is the love of God, John says, that we keep his commandments. Oh, I love this part. And his commandments are not burdensome for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith. And who is that who overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? We should be living out in our lives that the commands of Jesus are no burden to us, but they are a delight. In the midst of, of a hostile culture, it, to keep his commands and to do as he says um, is something that we look forward to. To doing. In our culture, you're going to be, in our culture, um, we are faced every single day with opportunities either to um, give in or stand aloof 
or to stand against. And what I would encourage us to do is to be people of God who, who's willing to get our hands dirty per se and, 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 and be in culture and be involved. In, one of the things I, I, I wish I pointed out in first service, but one of the things I, I think is very fascinating, Daniel was not there to upset the apple cart every step of the way. He agreed. He agreed to, to submit to um, uh, learning a new language. He agreed to submit to learning uh, a secular uh, literature. He, he agreed to listen ad nauseum about the 1,739 gods of the Babylonian um, um, belief system. He was willing to go for three years and study at the University of Babylon. He was willing to, to become a servant um, it wasn't his choice, but he was willing to do that as well, to become a servant in the palace. But he also had moments where he said, uh, I cannot, I got to draw a line in the sand and I cannot go no further. And for the most part, he didn't, he didn't change culture in Babylon, but he thrived in Babylon. And the people that encountered him encountered the living God. And they also had changes of heart. And that is what we need to be as people who stand in the gap for our community and, and for our, our friends and for our family. And we need to be parents and grandparents and, and people of faith in this joining together in this community to say, we will raise up young men, the next generation of boys and girls and young men and young women to know God, to love God, um, to be enthralled with him, and in every situation possible to trust them to the very last breath of their life. And it starts with you and it starts in the home and it starts with you having that same vital, vital faith for Jesus. In closing, this is what I want us to do in this, in this closing prayer. This is our invitation. I want to invite you to join me in praying for the children in our church family. And I want, to, I want you to pray also for the children and grandchildren in your family. And I want you to lift them up by name. And I want you, this is what our prayer is going to be today, that we would recommit, that we would recommit to making Christ preeminent in our lives, to making him known in our family, and to never, ever, ever water him down in this church family. Would you pray with me right now? I'm going to invite the worship team to come and prepare to lead us in this last song. But I just want this to be a sacred moment. So as people are moving around to kind of set up for the worship team, I just want you just to, just to take a moment just to quiet your hearts before the Lord. And like I said, I think the greatest challenge that, that you face as a parent um, it, it, it's, it's a daunting challenge. But with God, all things are possible. So would you just lay before, um, you're creating a little altar there where you're at, and just lay before the Lord the names of children in your family, the names of children that you influence. Maybe you're a teacher, an educator. Maybe you work with our teenagers or our, our children in our ministry. Um, we just lay their names before the Lord. Pick out one or two. Just lay them before the Lord. And would you be willing this morning to recommit your life 
in such a way to, to champion Christ in your home? Would you recommit to, to put Christ first in your home? So, Father, all across this room, there are, there are names that have been lifted up to you. Father, children and teenagers that we love dearly have been lifted up to you. And we ask that, Father, for every single one of them, that, Lord, that they first and foremost would come to know you as Lord and Savior. But second of all, we pray that, Lord, that you would help them navigate the treacherous waters of their generation, of their time. And, Lord, we pray that, God, that you would move mightily in our homes, that fathers and fathers and mothers would stand in the gap for their children. And Lord, I pray for the moms and dads who are in this room today that, Lord, as they recommit to saying yes to you, to making you preeminent in their, in their home, preeminent in their marriage, preeminent in their parenting, um, that, God, that you would help them, that, Lord, that you would help them um, to know how to pray and to know how to teach their children to walk in your ways. Lord, hear our cries this morning and help us, Father. Help us, Father, to thrive and to prepare this next generation to be great kingdom workers. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.